Let's continue to worship with the word of God. Will you please turn with me to 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Today's text is taken from 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 16 to 33. For you at home, uh, do join us. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 16. I read. I repeat, let no one think me foolish, but even if you do, accept me as a fool, so that I too may boast a little. For I am saying with this boastful confidence, I say not as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. For you gladly bear with fools, being wise yourselves. For you bear it if someone makes slaves of you, or devours you, or takes advantage of you, or put on airs, or strikes you in the face. To my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that. But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I'm speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hand of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was drift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. In toil and hardship, though many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I'm not weak? Who is made to fall? Am I not indignant? Verse 30. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of Lord Jesus, He is blessed forever, knows that I'm not lying. At Damascus, the governor under King Aratus was, gu was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. This is the word of God. Let's come to him in prayer. Oh God, our Father, we come to you this morning knowing that you are wise above all else and we are not. And Lord, whatever that has passed during the week, thinking that we are wise, Lord, help us to lower ourselves, humble ourselves only with the confidence that will speak to us through the word. 
And so, Lord, do speak to us. We know that our hearts are prone to wonder. Help us, Lord, to regain what may be lost and recover us, redeem us, that we may, Lord, bear the cross. Help us to hear your words, even in the sermon. Especially help our servant here speak to me first as I speak. In Christ's name I do pray. Amen. So it may surprise some of the skeptics over here, uh, even at home, as you're watching. But the Bible says that everyone boasts, right? Whether loudly or silently, uh, whether knowingly or unknowingly, the world boasts are bad. But the Christian can redeem boasting and make good of it. For that reason, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 17 and 18, says this, let, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commands himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commands. And that is a reference to Jeremiah chapter 9. And it says this, But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and know me. And this is God's word. Let him boast, boast in this, that he understands and knows God. In the second part of chapter 10 of 2 Corinthians, uh, Paul was laying the foundation for boasting against the false, uh, the false apostles. He differentiated a bad and good type of boasting. So there is a legitimate way to boast as Christians. Then in the first part of chapter 11, which is uh, just before our text this morning and today, Paul gave his reason for his boasting. And the reason is simply that he loves the church. He loves the church of Corinth. For that reason, he humbled himself as a jealous fool of God. Right? He said a couple of times, I am a fool. Regard me as a fool if you need to. And in our text today, here in the second part of chapter 11, he lowers himself further. Right? He lowers himself further. Stepping down from his apostolic authority to argue like a fool of the world. Now, the foolishness of the world only recognizes achievements and results. So he lowered himself further to argue like a fool. Again, because he loves the church of Corinth. He knew that the only way now to reach the hearts and minds of the people of Corinth was to begin at where they were. And they were at the level, again, of recognizing worldly achievement and results. In other words, Paul was willing and is willing, willingly played the full games of the world, though it made him look unwise as the apostle of Christ. Now, the word fool in the Greek, right, literally means ignorant. And it has a sense of being unwise. A fool is referred during that time to somebody who lacks a sense all right, of reason. Um, and it's not someone that is stupid. All right? So children, when you see the word here, fool, uh, it doesn't mean that he's calling us stupid or calling... Paul is saying himself is stupid all right, or witless, not of low intellect. But rather, 
someone who is uh, has this self perceptions of uh, blowing things out of proportion. All right, something that you know he kinds of uh, do it in a very very uh, emo it would say a extravagant way. All right, one of the it's like what it's like one of the philosopher uh, Socrates during that time uh, was often seen as a fool, especially by what they call the Sophies, not Sophia, right? It's the Sophies, right? Because he was reckoned as to have kind of lost his senses and lost the true sense of measure. Sophies were itinerant teachers, taught themselves as teachers of wisdom in the 5th century BC Greece. And that was a few hundred years before Jesus was born. They provided education through paid lectures. Right, they are kind of itinerant paid lecturers. But Sophies, these Sophies were criticized by Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle. For these Sophies, their emphasis were on rhetoric rather than pure knowledge. For their acceptance of money and their teachings is simply not acceptable uh, to these uh, teachers of knowledge. In fact, Plato once says that these sophies were greedy and they used tricks such as ambiguities in language and fallacious reasoning to deceive others. So according to Plato, right, rather than seeking justice, sophies seek money and power. Now, similarly in our text, right, during Jesus' time, according to Paul, the fake teachers were like the sophies. They thought of themselves as the super apostles with superior rhetoric in the art of public speaking. They boast in their achievements to sway the people of Corinth. And for that reason, in our text, Paul boasts of his sufferings as achievements, confronting the false apostles on the one hand. On the other hand, he has, a, has this reason for boasting like a fool. And, bo and Paul boasts like a fool to comfort those who are suffering. So in that case, the big idea of the sermon is boasting like a fool to confront and comfort. However, Paul was very careful not to mislead the Christian to think that boasting like a fool is the rightful thing and the norm to do. And so he qualifies himself in verse 17. He says, his boastful confidence is not from the Lord. Right? So the question naturally for us is this, if it's not from the Lord, then who is it from? If boasting, his boastful confidence is not from Lord's authority, who are the, or where, or what are the sources of confidence? Now in the text, he cited two sources of such boastful confidence in the world and the self. The source of confidence in the world flows from the Greek philosophy and culture. When Paul appeals in verse 16, he said, let no one think me foolish. He is exactly repeating his appeal from chapter 11, verse 1. Right there is last week's sermon. And why would the church of Corinth think he is foolish? You see, in the culture, when Paul refused to accept their money for support, the Corinthians thought that he was a fool. You are a fool not receiving money, right? It's like 
you are full, ignorant of our culture of receiving money as a, 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 a form of approval, a form of honoring, if you will. Paul will have been perceived as blowing things out of proportion, like he is, no, he don't want to receive it. Now, the, the image come to my mind, you know, it's like during the years that I still remember my grandmother and some of the relatives, right, when they, you know, gave red packets, uh, right? They give red packets and they kind of push the red packets to and flow, right? It's that kind of thing. It's like, you take, you take, no, 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 no I don't want to take. Uh, you take, you take, I don't want to take. That kind of pushing back and forth, right? So, Paul will be like that. He's like pushing back. He said, I don't want to take. But the Korean guy, the Corinthians, they will say, oh, no, put, don't you take it, you take it. But Paul will say, no, no, I don't want. So it's kind of like blowing things out of proportion. As young as I were, right, when I was looking at that, it's like, why are you like pushing there? It's like out of proportion. It's just receiving and taking money, right? I mean, what's, what's wrong with that? But Paul make it a big deal. In some ways, they would have been offended. In fact, the, the church of Corinth, during that time, they would be having offended when he make it an issue not to receive their money. But he clarified that he loved them so much that he didn't want to receive their money for their sake. He stated that very clearly in the first part of chapter 11. It's for their sake he did not receive their money to make the point that they have been or they were being taken advantage of, devoured. Uh, in our lo local colloquial, uh, it would be makan, eaten alive by the false apostles. You see, the false apostles' source of boastful confidence is in themselves. According to the flesh, their sin is considering their interests above others. I say again, the boastful confidence of the apostles is according to the flesh. Their sin is considering their interests above others. But the gospel truth of Jesus is thinking about others above oneself. And Paul made that very clear in his letter to the Philippine church in Philippians chapter 2. So the, the false apostles teaches of worldly and fleshly confidence enslave the church of Corinth. Now the church then mirrors such boastful confidence that they were happy even getting slaps on their faces. Now, church, we, uh, we would be genuinely foolish when we mirror right, the world's boastful confidence. Now, Paul uncovering the truth that they were being bullied, they were being robbed, and saying from verse 19 to 21, along these lines, it would be like that. What a pity we are not like that. You seem to prefer bullies. Right? So the whole chunk of verse 19 to 21, if you want to summarize it, it will have been that one line. What a pity we were not like those fake apostles. You seem to prefer bullies. It is his final punch in the gut of those still cannot see the truth. It is a tremendously sarcastic but loving message from verse 19 to 21. Now, from verse 22 onwards, Paul asks for a hearing as he presents his case with the gospel of Jesus to confront the fake apostles. Paul, as the legitimate apostle, is obligated then to defend his apostleship in the sense that he's compelled 
almost like forced to by love to boast. It has been moved not to overstate the case, but to speak the truth in love as far as possible. In a way, it's like a lion actually being pushed to a corner because the false apostles have come to Corinth and told the people that he was a, a fraud. He was a liar and even a hypocrite. And the people have to some extent, and to some extent, believe the false apostles that Paul is such a person. You see, false teachers, false prophets, false apostles, they are liars. All attempt in their strength is to destroy the truth. In order to destroy the truth, they have to discredit the truth teachers. And so they came into Corinth and attempt to destroy Paul's credibility. As a result, Paul has to defend himself. In fact, he has to defend himself against their specific ac accusations. He has to take them, he has to take them on to directly push back the darkness that is surrounding the church of Corinth. I would say, when you read the text, right, you will notice that Paul actually found it really awkward to boast in order to defend himself, right? He does not like to defend himself, in fact. However, he has to boast like a fool of the world to confront other fools. So first, he confronted head-to-head -head the false apostles' pedigree, right? Or, yeah, the pedigree about their Jewishness as a race. They are Jews, so is Paul. As a nationality, as a country, right? we just have our national day. They are Israelites, so is Paul. As a direct lineage of Abraham, meaning that they are not Gentiles convert to Jews. They are the pure line of Jews. So is Paul. But as Paul, as a servant of Christ, Paul boasts he is better. And why is Paul better? He is the jealous fool. He loves Christ as the groom of the church, loves the church as the bride of Jesus. And so he was insanely and passionate about preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ because he loves them personally. Are the fake teachers, the fake apostles, imposters, are they personal? Not. Next, Paul worked much harder for the mission of Christ to teach and make disciples. Do the fake apostles have any plans to suffer the travels to preach to the world beyond Corinth? Not. Then Paul is willing to take the risk, risking his life many times over. Are the fake apostles even willing to do more than just talk? Are, the, are they willing to serve in the church of Corinth? Are they ready to get their hands dirty in the messy life of the church? Not. Do the fake apostles and imposters open up about their personal lives to verify they live in Christ? Not. But Paul's life is an open book with no privacy, no secrets, 
praying for all to check his life accounts and the history and his history are true. And here are his accounts as a servant of Christ. And you got to get this. In the account, Paul suffered tremendously. People thought that he was like a madman. In fact, when he gave this account, people thought that he's passionate and almost a crazy person talking about the gospel all the time everywhere he goes. He's all hands on. I remember one deacon say, this church is about all hands on. Every member. He's all hands on, working with his hands and feet, not just talking. He suffered injustice and endured countless beatings and often near-death experiences. Five times he suffered 40 lashes, less one under the religious Jewish law. Now, do you know that Singapore's criminal, once they get and they are sentenced to get the, the, the caning, right? You know that criminals would often faint by just a single stroke of caning on the butt. That's right. Just a single stroke on the butt. They will faint. Paul wasn't just caned, by the way. He was lashed. He was lashed, meaning that flesh literally tearing out of him. 39 strokes. 40 less one. And not just once, but five times. So imagine the scarring in, on his body. Are those uh, criminals that got the strokes in, in our jailhouse? You can ask them. This, those, those scars never go away. It's always at where they are. So imagine Paul's body. 39 times 5. You do the math. About 200 lines all over. And perhaps some on his face. Three times beaten with rocks. One time stoned. The Jewish punishment of stoning is designed to injure, break bones, and, lead the, and let the punished one die from both external and internal bleeding. Three times shipwrecked. And Jack didn't survive the Titanic in one shipwreck. One night and day drifted at sea. Almost like Tom Hanks in Cast Away. Many journeys in danger, rivers, robbers. His own people, his own blood, his own lineage was after him. Not only that, Gentiles, people who he was trying to reach out to, that God commanded him, they were against him. So outside, in the wilderness, he suffered. In the city, people were going after him in the courts. And in the wilderness again, sea at sea, he suffered. Internally, in the city, forced brothers. So in toil and hardship, with many, many sleepless nights, hunger and thirst, often without food, cold and exposure. I'm not sure how many of us have been without food, cold and exposure. But it's a really, really tough feeling. Feeling like 
sometimes I think like dying. Why do I know this? Because I was without food and was cold in exposure for seven days before. Not boasting, but trying to identify that it is quite, it is not just quite terrible, it's just terrible, right? These are the sufferings of Paul to fulfill God's word and promise in his, his life. When he listed all this, Paul was trying to testify that he's fulfilling God's word and promise in his life. Are you suffering as a Christian? If you are, you would be fulfilling God's word and promise in your life. In Philippians chapter 1, and it reads, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Right? Christians, listen carefully. For it's been granted to you for the sake of Christ that you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake. That's the life of a Christian. From time to time, a believer may have to play the fool's game in this world, acting out of proportion, almost like crazy, to make a point and even suffer for it. Now, if you ask my family, there's one thing I will act out of proportion, make so much noise over, is that we let physical reality overtake spiritual reality and its importance. I'm willing to suffer for that. Though Paul knew his spiritual reality, he willingly played the fool's game of the world of boasting. As an apostle of Christ, he lowered himself to look and feel like a fool and even seems unwise. Now you might think that this is the end of Paul, right? He's like, he's like playing the fool's game. But you see, here is where he was really clever and turned, he turned around the fool's boasting game and confronted his opponents. He was boasting about the world's achievement to redeem, rede to redeem it like a fool. He was boasting a bad, he was turning a bad thing into a good thing, according to the gospel of Jesus. The world boasts about achievements, so did Paul. But he turned their boasting of the world on their heads, according to the gospel of Jesus. They boast of their achievement in their strengths. And in our day, there are such super apostles that has been out there. And lately, right, from 2018, if you have been following the academic world and the intellectual world, there is this person known as, uh, I'm going to say it as it is, right? He is Jordan Patterson, right? He's a famous New York best-selling author who apparently is offered the gospel of Jesus with one of his best-selling books, 12 Rules for Life and Antidote to Chaos. Now, the thing is that we appreciate Jordan Patterson right, brought back uh, perhaps the morality of even the Ten Commandments right, in his writings, and we appreciate that. However, we have to take note where his worldview was or is right now. 
he's coming from this angle that perhaps we have to be aware. Now in his opening chapter, rule number one out of the 12 rules, this is his presupposition and worldview. He boasts of raising in social he boasts of raising in social status with achievements as a top dog in order to cure life's suffering. But the gospel of Jesus boasts of achievements in suffering and weaknesses. Now, Jordan Patterson does not embrace the Christian and gospel worldview. And we have to take note of this. Again, I say that what he wrote was helpful in some ways, but we need to know where he's coming from, right? It's a DIY, do-it-yourself kind of book. He's a psychology, uh, psychological uh, counselor, uh, counseling. Uh, so we got to be aware of this, all right? When we read such books, it looks good because he says, and an antidote to chaos which in, a, in lots of ways, it contains good, good advice, but I would say that his worldview is not the Christian and gospel worldview. Beloved and friends, especially young men, if you come as a person suffering from weaknesses physically and emotionally and mentally today, God wants you to know that you have achieved something as well. All right? Be comforted that you will achieve to know and experience more of the reality of the gospel of Jesus if Christ Jesus is your Lord and Savior. Now back to the text and our text, Paul continues with his foolish boasting with the goal of confronting the... Uh, uh, now, right, he, he continues with his foolish boasting with the goal of comforting the servants of God. Now, on top of Paul's physical afflictions, he is also suffering mentally and emotionally. He has daily pressure and concerns for all the churches that he has started and planted. And in verse 29, he recognizes the servants of God serving and ministering in the churches are going through many difficulties and suffering. However, Paul comforts them by saying that he shares their feelings of being weak, of facing the challenges of life and church. Even more so, he feels their godly anger when a sheep has been led astray. Paul comforts the people in the church by identifying with their feeling of weakness. Now here is when Paul turns to the gospel of Jesus, that he was fulfilling Christ's promise in Acts chapter 9, the Lord appeared to Ananias, a believer, to ask him to reach out to Paul before his conversion. But guess what? Ananias, Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. And listen to this, Acts chapter 9 verse 16. For I will show him how much he must suffer 
for the sake of my name. In that case, by the time Paul was writing 2 Corinthians, he has suffered many afflictions for Jesus' name's sake. He fulfills God's word and promise to Ananias in Acts chapter 9. And how do we know that Paul was referring to his conversion in Acts? It is because he mentions his lowly escape from Damascus in our text in verses 32 and 33. So if you're wondering what is 32, 32, 33 is all about, why suddenly mention this lowering of, you know, out of the window, lowering down? The stress and emphasis is actually lowered. Lowered, being humble. He's humbling himself like a fool. And guess what? The Apostle Paul escaped in a basket. It's like, you know, in China, they call it put in zu long uh, and trying to escape. You know? It's humiliating. It's humiliating. But Paul's emphasis here is, is lowering himself like a fool, boasting like a fool of the world. And he's fulfilling Christ's promise for him. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the name, for the sake of my name. Paul was literally humbled and made lowly when he was in the basket lower from a tower to escape a plot to murder him by the Jews. For that reason, he can say with full confidence, God knows I'm not lying in our text in verse 31. And for God's name's sake, for the gospel of Jesus' sake, Paul suffered a lot and he comforts the servant of God that he shares their pain in one way or another. So professing Christians must suffer together for the gospel's sake instead of suffering as a fool of the world. And God reveals this through Paul in Philippians chapter 1, verse 29 again. For it is granted, it's been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, that you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake. So, beloved and friends, get this. Christians suffering for Christ's gospel as believers in this world is not an exception, but it is a norm. It is a norm. Christians suffering in this world is not an exception, but the norm. For the skeptics, you suffer meaninglessly. For the believers, you suffer, uh, you suffer meaningfully for Christ's gospel's sake. For that reason, there is an allowance for Christian boasting as preached in a previous sermon from chapter 10. Even so, Having justified for Christian boasting, Paul still found it, again, like I say, he's finding it very, very, very and really awkward to boast about his sufferings to defend himself. However, he has to do it to confront other fools. And more than that, Paul is boasting of his physical suffering to comfort those suffering and serving in the church. Now, Paul is not undermining all our personal suffering by saying, hey, I know your suffering. Or in fact saying, you know, I have this whole list of suffering. My suffering is better than you in a comparative sense. He's not saying that. 
That is for the fools of the world. But what he's really saying is this. You truly don't know what I've been through as I don't know what you are going through. But Christ does. Christ does know. And so let the Holy Spirit comfort us as we read through God's Word here today. Each person's trial and tribulations are unique. And God loves and cares for us so much in a very personal way that He tailors unique and personal situations and challenges to redeem our wrongs with what I call targeted sanctifica uh, sanctification. You see, the Holy Spirit's surgical work in our hearts targets where we are weak and most prone to sin. Now, I, I had the privilege to do some translation work for a pastor in the Far East during my days uh, in seminary in USA. And he was responding to comments of sympathy of, uh, from the Western Christians, uh, looking at their persecution. And he was right to boast like a fool, saying along this line. He mentioned this along this line after translated uh, and shortened in summary. Don't ever pity us, brothers and sisters, that we are locked up and sitting in jail. We are experiencing more grace of Christ Jesus and the truths of the gospel than all of you combined sitting comfortably at the pew right now. I'm not sure about you, but many hearing this for the first time, and when I heard it, it was a punch in my gut. But the pastor was doing Christian boasting within the limits of the gospel truths of Jesus. Somehow, that brings me some comfort and some level of comfort in my own trials and suffering, even as we, and as I was going through with my family, right, the seminary days. Not that they are no good, by the way, don't be afraid of going to seminary, okay? I'm just letting you know there are lots to go through, even in seminary. And from my observations and very recent conversations, I'm talking about less than a, probably one or two months ago, with mission partners from the Far East, the persecuted Christians and churches spend more time praying for God's kingdom's sake. And they spend less, less time squabbling and you know, worrying about the discomforts or pain in their lives. So you might ask then, did they talk about their suffering? Yes, they did. But when they do speak about their sufferings, they boast like a fool of the world. They were achieving Jesus in their sufferings to share the gospel, to encourage and comfort others. And I spoke to them. I was deeply encouraged and comforted, strangely, because of their suffering. And somehow, I can identify a bit, but I will never know what they have suffered. Now, did Jesus talk about his suffering? Did Paul boast like a fool about his suffering? Yes, they did. They did so because they are just like you and I. 
But here is the thing. They didn't just talk about it. They boast in the Lord. They were boasting like fools of the world for the gospel's sake. So where you are right now, are you boasting in the Lord for the gospel's sake? You see, they were boasting like fools of the world for the gospel's sake. And more than just boasting and talk only, they lived out their boasting like fools for the gospel. So the question for all of us is this. How are we suffering? And in our suffering, we take the risk of looking and even feeling like fools of the world to boast in the Lord. And my encouragement to all of us is this. Don't let your sufferings be meaningless. Don't waste it. And John Piper rightly put it this way about suffering and boasting in his book. Don't waste your life. And he wrote, Life is wasted if we do not grasp the glory of the cross. Cherish it for the treasure that it is and cleave to it as the highest price of every pleasure and the deepest comfort in every pain. What was once foolishness to us, a crucified God, must become our wisdom and our power and our only boast in this world. Beloved and friends, if you have to achieve something in your life, be the fool achieving the knowing and experiencing the gospel of Christ Jesus. And so this is the word of God.